everyone, Kevin here, and welcome back to the Bible in a Beer podcast. We hope you enjoyed our Lexio Divina episode with Father John Lococo. Today's episode, we sit back down with Father John to have an extended interview with him about his time as a priest so far, his own priestly discernment, his time in Rome, and of course, about his best friend and only friend, Leopold the Nutcracker. All right, yeah, I got my, uh, you ever had this before? What is it? You ever had Shiner? Oh, Shinerbach. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Out of Texas. Is holiday cheer different than the normal Shinerbach? Yeah. It's, they... To be honest, it is a little strange. It's like peaches and walnuts or something like that. But Gross. Um, yeah. I think it's pretty good. I don't know. Uh, I've never thought when I've been eating fruitcake, you know what? It would taste better if it was liquefied. And that's what you're describing. Nobody, nobody eats fruitcake. Everybody lets it get stale and then they throw it away. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Someone at home is like listening to this while they eat the last of their fruitcake. <laughs> they put it down slowly. <laughs> They're like, We're done. Get out of my house. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so... We're joined by Father John Lococo. Um, Father John, maybe a quick intro to, you're obviously part of uh, the Archdiocese of Milwaukee, but maybe a quick intro as to sure. what it, the heck you do. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, so born and raised in the Archdiocese of Milwaukee. And, uh, went to Jesuit High School here, and studied in Minnesota. Then halfway Wait, you were at St. Thomas? St. Thomas in Minnesota. Oh, no, I never yeah. knew that. Okay. Yeah. Sweet. So I uh, went to the University of St. Thomas, and then halfway through college, discerned uh, at least discerned enough to enter seminary. At that time, St. Joseph College Seminary existed at Loyola University in Chicago. That no longer does. It no longer exists. Okay. Yeah, it just was the numbers were low. And sure. Anyway, so yeah, I went there for philosophy. So that's where my major is actually from, Go Ramblers. Uh, and then uh, I was uh, asked to uh, do my theological study in Rome at the North American College. And so I did a general theology degree at the Gregorian University. And then I... Uh, were, were all the classes chanted at you? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that's a good joke. <laughs> uh, and then I did a focus license in dogmatic theology at the Angelicum, which the Dominicans run. So yep. the Gregorian is uh, the university in Rome that St. Ignatius founded yep. and the Jesuits run today. And then the, the Dominicans... Uh, that's where St. John Paul II, for example, famously studied. And so went there, was in a parish a couple of years, and now I am... Which parish were you in? I was at Holy Family in Fond du Lac, nice. Wisconsin. Wait, uh, that's where Maluka is now. Father Maluka is there. Yeah. Father Proust is the the pastor. There's a whole team of guys. Yeah, there's like five of them up there. Six, or something, right? six. six churches, Okay. one parish, so yeah. six sites. Crazy. There's a K-12 through school nice. that they uh, sort of help out at. And so a couple of years there, and now I am the vocation director, and I run our House of Discernment which is in the rectory at St. Robert's in Shorewood. Mm. And I'm also a Canon Law student uh, on this like hybrid program at Catholic University. So You've been in school for like 12 straight years, yeah, basically. Yeah, I'm on like a remedial track. Yeah, so <laughs> that's, that's where I am today. Um, yeah, just you know, one of eight, uh, seven brothers and sisters. My sister uh, is a, a novice with the Handmaids of the Heart of Jesus. She's in year three, I think you said, She's right? in her third year, so okay. second year of novitiate. Um, third year in formation. She, her name is Sister Angela Joy of the King of Glory. So or, uh, she has a Latin sort of name there, Angela, like handmaid, uh, oh, okay. lady's okay. response to the angel, yeah. I'm the handmaid of the Lord, let it be done to me. So she is the proverbial and paradigmatic uh, handmaid of the handmaids, I suppose. Sister handmaid. Sister handmaid, joy, yeah. and uh, and and the, with the title of the king of glory. And so it's a pretty epic name, uh, although Mother Mary Claire is very good at giving names. So <laughs> um, a lot of the sisters here are very uh, excellent names. And so she's there, I'm here, and... Uh, you two are the only ones that are religious life, correct? Yeah. Okay. And then and my you other have a sister in Texas? Uh, yeah, my sister Claire yeah. uh, lives and is married in Texas. My other siblings all live locally. One sister's unmarried, she's the youngest, and the others are all married, and we have 16, uh, there's 16 grandkids, so... Already, 16 that's crazy. Nephews. Wait, where do you fall in the pecking order? Joe, Mike, Tony, then myself, okay. and then four sisters after me, all named Mary. Mary, 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 Mary. They all go by their middle name. <laughs> oh, Mary. Magdalene, Claire, Anna, and Martha. You love to see it. Love to see it. Wait, which one is it that uh, basically is 
Bishop Barron that props him up. <laughs> is Bishop Barron. My sister Claire lives and works in Dallas at okay. Word on Fire, and she handles a lot of the like uh, like photography and social media and like online digital content for them. So she's formatted some of their institute magazines and Sweet. formatted articles for them or done book covers or a lot of their social media that you see, like posts for especially for Saints stays. Yeah. yeah. Like she's she's like put those together. Sweet. So. How'd she wind up in Texas? Is it just because of the That's the where they job opened or? a new office. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. she went to University of Dallas and gotcha. then they opened a new office. So it was totally providential and she sort of worked out there. Sweet. She taught for a year up here in Menominee Falls. And okay. Then that job opened up she moved back. So nice. We'll get her back home eventually. Yeah, you're working on her, right? Working on her. Um okay so in terms of your own journey as a priest, so I obviously did a lot of different schooling and whatnot, and you said you were at St. Thomas, but that was pre-discernment that you were at St. Thomas. Pre-discernment. I was just a jock there, man. My man. So you were you went to Marquette High School, I correct? did. And you were, I think, uh, like a national champ of like ribbon dancing or something like that? Or, That's right. I was a national champion ribbon dancer, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. That must be what you do in St. Louis. Yeah, Here sounds- in Wisconsin, we play sports. I played racquetball, so yeah. um, <laughs> that makes sense. And a juggle. So I, I played uh, football, wrestling, and track in high school, okay. and I also power lifted. Uh, so I was. I would never guess a meathead, as my mother <laughs> would call me. I don't think fondly. She'd just call me that. You're right. And then uh, no, I played football at University of St. Thomas. Nice. And um, at the time, it was Division three. Now it's Division one. Did you ever consider doing football kind of as like the full track? Obviously, like, were you looking D1, D2? Or I, what is oh, St. Thomas? Yeah, you know, I mean, you like, you look around at like other schools, and I think as somebody put it to me once, it's like, would you want to go to this school if you had a torn ACL? And that was like a very good way of being like, maybe I'm not going to go to this D1 school in the That's a great nowhere. question. Yeah. 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 St. Thomas is a great fit. Okay. Good business school, good Catholic studies program, really good coach, good program. I was yeah. really happy to be there. Okay. And how long were you there before? Did Two you, years. Okay. So you, I entered into Loyal as a junior. Okay. And was able to switch degrees from finance to philosophy and finish it all in two years. So, oh, nice. So, so then you did still a four year program. So then, you, did you do an additional six years in seminary after that? So then, uh, four years in seminary. Oh, not bad. I got okay. ordained after six years. Oh. Yeah, that's why. That's why the formation is still, uh, you know, in processo. We're still, <laughs> we're still figuring things out. Yeah, yeah. So you're halfway through college. What the heck changed? Uh, well, you know, I mean, it's kind of one of those things. I grew up in a Catholic family, you know, obviously, but. I think was it? Um, were you practicing? Like yeah, yeah, you, you yeah, still had your, yeah. I never yeah. stopped practicing my faith. Was you that know, seen as a like genuine question? Was that seen as like kind of dorky, being a jock, or did nobody really care? No, I mean, I'd say the school that I went to certainly fostered like and encouraged a yeah. spiritual life. And, okay. Um, you know, but like you know, you know, I go to mass on Sundays and go to confession every couple months, or you know, but that was it. It was just like mass and then like occasional confession, and then you know the classes that you're in, or I'd go on retreats, or we do different service opportunities. So felt like a robust faith and then you get to college and it pretty much was just like mass on Sunday and that was kind of the faith life and go yep. to confession when I when I needed it and uh you know which is you know you could sit there and say like well that's more than most of your peers which is as my mother would say like what do you want a cookie like are we holding ourselves to this <laughs> to this imaginary yeah. sort of like standard. uh standard um truth be told so I was studying abroad my sophomore year in the spring after the season ended in the spring I went to study abroad with St. Thomas's Catholic Studies program and I think my my where did, where did you go for that it's uh, in Rome. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. sorry, in Rome. And uh, I think my parents' fear when I came home, because I came home from studying abroad, and I was like, by the way, you know, I've, I'm applied to inner seminary. Mm. And they were like, sweet. Okay. <laughs> Actually, I'm very grateful because their reaction was, they were pretty nonplussed. They were like, okay, like, whatever you need to do. Do you think do. they expected it? Or? No, 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 no. No, it's like my like, hyper-intelligent, brooding, thoughtful, poetic brother, Tony, who like, <laughs> Uh, should have been the priest. He would have been the one. <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, the Lord works in mysterious ways. Sure. Or he takes what he can get. And uh, <laughs> No, but I, in my case, truth be told, what it was is I lived in a very devoted community. Mm. We studied at the Angelicum. 
30 people, a third of them were seminarians. We had a chapel in the house of the Blessed Sacrament. For the first time in my life, I had a very consistent prayer life. Yeah. Like I would sit before the Lord in adoration every day just because that's what everyone else in the house was yeah, doing. Yeah, it was available. And, and that was it. Yeah. And basically what happened was just sort of the Lord breaking through all of the walls that I had put up to yeah. ever like really consider the question. And as soon as it sort of crystallized, as like this is what I need to do, he had a pretty deep certainty about it. I was not in an emotionally effective place to receive that. I remember being like, Oh no, you know, yeah. Um, sort of like not be <laughs> not be afraid of like how you feel about something, knowing that something might be your duty or what the Lord's inviting you to does not necessarily mean that you need to be like, oh yeah, perfect, I love this, yeah. you know. You had no inkling before though, before this study abroad. You know, in high school, certainly Father Strand and Luke Strand and Johnny Burns were uh, were sort of there. I was in a relationship though, so it's yeah. kind of like not. I remember a, not being on a date once and getting a phone call. From Father Luke? Father Luke and Father Burns were in, <laughs> in Washington, D.C. at the March for Life. Sweet. And as they tell me, they were sitting there at night being like, man, who should be a priest? Who should, you know, like, no, yeah, like John LaCoco, John LaCoco, you know, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. We, should, we should call him. You know, yeah, they're like yeah. sitting up, like kids at camp or something. Like, <laughs> yeah. let's do it. <laughs> Telling so stories. like at 9 p.m. at night, I get a phone call from D.C. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I'm going to date my girlfriend right now. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. That's you fine. You can talk. Yeah, yeah. Like, so. oh, thanks. No, but I mean, it was just like always that invitation. Never pushed, like respect to that I was in a relationship, but sure. also just being like, hey, we think that you should consider this. And I think until I had the consistent prayer life, I never gave it the space. Once yeah. I did, it became very clear. Yeah. It was all of a sudden like passages I had read in scripture hundreds of times before. Like passages that you've all heard, like the harvest is plentiful, but the labors yeah. are few. Yeah. Yeah. You like roll <laughs> your me. eyes. That's yeah. Me. But then like, that's what grace looks like though. Yeah. Even like yeah. the simplest words of scripture now bear deep weight and a deep meaning. So yeah. how long were you over there for that? Just four months. Okay. So by the end so of it, I was working on the application on the way home. Yeah, on the okay. plane, okay. sitting there on the little tray table. Oh man, I, I feel like um, yeah. So Milwaukee is a really a really beautiful area for. There's a lot of great priests. Obviously, we're hopeful for women religious at some point making their way here, and so it's just a very fruitful ground in so many ways. But we'd obviously love to see as many men join if that's what the Lord has called them to as possible. So I guess my my question is in that sense, how do we get men to ask that question or discern properly, even if it's not for them? Yeah. I think it's one of those things where anytime that there's a particular fear, anxiety, or just an ignorance about something, like in, until we place ourselves in that environment, we won't know. So like, where does discernment begin? In many ways, it sort of models and mirrors like our own growth in our spiritual life. Like in your baptism, like the flame of your faith is lit. And like, yep. it's, a, it's like represented in the candle, which is sort of likening to the, the, the resurrection, the Easter candle, right? That, that flame is lit and your parents like do what they can to cultivate it, to protect and garden. And it's something that you cultivate and protect and garden as you learn to pray, as you learn what the what the life of the Christian is. Ultimately, it's to lead to that place then where you then are like sharing that faith, sort of lighting other people on fire, and that's confirmation, right? Yeah. So in the same way, like discernment begins that way. It's this small, precious thing that's in your hand, like a question that you barely want to whisper out loud, something that you push to the side. But at a certain point, we begin to share it with just a few people. Maybe we're willing to go on like the discernment retreat. Maybe we're willing to have a conversation or a cup of coffee with the vocation director. Maybe we're willing to sort of like just think about it a little bit. And so what, what do we do? You know, what do we do? We begin to cultivate kind of data points. Like, what does it mean to be a priest? What does it look like? How do they live their lives? And we get to know priests and we talk to priests and we serve mass. All of that is good. All of that is good. But at a certain point, like we sort of reach a saturation point. Yeah. Like there's only so much that you can sort of know outside of actually entering into formation. Yeah. Because in formation, what you do is you pass that question mm. on to someone else. Mm. You give it to a formator, 
You, a formation director. You give it to yeah. the rector. Yeah. You give it to your spiritual director, to the person handling your apostolate, to your teachers, to your brothers in the house. And you're now in this environment in which it's not really just you selfishly being like, is this what I should do? But you're surrounded by all these people who are confirming and encouraging or saying, maybe this is not where the Lord's leading you. And I think that's where the fear and the vulnerability really comes is like coming to a place where we can sort of hand it over. But the place of freedom that that can come from, like men who've entered seminary formation and then left, they do so with a great peace because mm-hmm. they're like, you know what? I, I gave the Lord this time. He sort of is not to be outdone in generosity. And the time that I gave him, he confirmed my heart. This is not the vocation he's led me to. So the certainty that he can lead you to in that place, then to go forth and to date, yeah. so as to marry, so as to foster a family. Like that's a really beautiful place to be in. I tell men that all the time. I was like, I don't want you to be a priest. I don't want you to be married. I want you to do God's will. Yeah. If it means the former, great. If it means the latter, great. great. Yeah. And and I think I think for us in a particular way, just as a as a final point to all that, is like if we just purely look at something that is the supernatural vocation with natural eyes, mm. like the guy who's like, you know what, Father, you know, I really want to get married. I'm like, well, that's great because I don't want the candidate who hates women and families. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> I'm like, you're telling me you're nothing. Interact with them by anyway. sharing the natural vocation. Yeah. Like, yeah, of yeah. course you. I want. Of course that. you want to. Yeah. But if we look at a supernatural vocation, right? Because it is something that is super, supra, above our nature. It, we can't look at it in the way that we look at anything else. And so I always give the example, like I'm in school, you know, eight weeks, I'm in DC over the summer. I'm sitting there in, cl- in class. I'm celebrating private masses. I'm absolving no sins, no funerals, no anointings. Am I less of a priest because I'm there? No. Well, so it isn't really what the priest does. Yeah. It's who the priest is. Yeah. And what does John Vianney say? Priesthood is the love of the heart of Jesus. Mm. What does Fulton Sheen say? The priest is not his own. Yeah. That's what I need to lead the candidate towards as vocation director. That's the place that you need to sort of feel yourself called. You feel love of the heart of Jesus, and you feel desire to live a life that is not your own, and have those two truths manifest in the form and in the arena of priesthood, that's where you feel a resonance. Yeah. So, and I think you brought up a couple points there. So, going on to one point, you talked about uh, dating for some of the men. I can't remember who this was, but there was a fellow who was in seminary for like three years or something like that. He discerned out and he started dating somebody within like a month because mm-hmm. he knew if seminary wasn't for me, clearly marriage is. Right. So, to your point of like the Lord's generosity, he wants to give us that. And yeah, you said he's not to be outdone in generosity. Well, he's not going to be upset with you for choosing one vocation or the other. Right. I, I think there's one that he forms your heart towards. Totally. Um, but even if you are meant to be a priest or meant to be a husband, you choose the opposite of vocation, you're still pursuing the heart of love, which is at the end what we all pursue in a vocation anyway. So I think that there's a, a beauty in that. And I, I see all these guys, uh, not maybe all these guys, but the guys who leave seminary seem to have, or like kind of leave that period of discernment, oh, seem to conviction. leave. Yeah. They're like, this is it for me, man. And that's such an awesome thing to see. Um, I guess my, my question, and this isn't like a pushback, but I'm just curious how we get there is, that's all a beautiful thing, but for the men who don't even ask that question in the first place, how do we get them there? Because there are the men who who know they need to ask, and then they go through that period, like you're saying, and they mm-hmm. ask and trying to decide. But for these men who are stubborn, uh, and I consider myself that uh, mm-hmm. certainly in, in that same situation, but how do we get those guys to at least ask the question in the first place so they can get to that stage you're talking about? I think you have to reflect on your own mortality. We as a culture do everything that we can to ignore the fact that we are going to die. My brother always jokes to me, like, and he'll sort of make this gesture with his index finger, mm. like near his eye. Yeah. Like, because we, we've talked about this time and time again, like, 
within a few decades, he's like, worms are crawling through your skull. You know, like, it's like, sounds very morbid, but it's yeah. just like, it's memento mori. It's like yeah. all of the great saints depicted with these skulls in their hands on their desk or near them. Yeah. It's like reflecting. If we put things in the context of the, like the, the sort of proximity of life and how fleeting it is and just thought like your life is not your own. And it's something to be given over to the Lord's. All of a sudden, it puts things in such stark relief that you're like, whoa, okay, I'm going to die. The Lord's invited me into this space. You know, and just sort of like, I think that that is the first and sort of primary obstacle to us sort of asking that question. Because I I just want to be careful. Like, I'm sympathetic, right? It's a good thing to like be like, I really feel like marriage and I desire this and this and, and, and whatnot. But I think so often is like, we're afraid to ask. Because we're afraid of the answer, yeah, right. Mm. And so, like, to even get to that point of being willing to ask the Lord, and like, if you can find me the man or the woman, right, who's sort of like, you know, what I, I have a pretty comfortable awareness of my own mortality and the Lord's work in my life of drawing me into communion with Him. They'll figure out what they need. You yeah, know, they'll figure out what they need. Yeah. And then the other thing I'll just share with my mother who always said to me, "If you're supposed to be a priest, our lady's not going to let you get away." <laughs> so just pray to She'll our lady. Wrangle you. Yeah, yeah, just pray to our lady. Very true. Yeah, I just think. Um, so I guess for myself, because I don't want to be like, well, you know, this guy does that, that guy. I mean, we're mm-hmm. all sinners in our own way or, or all, you know, prideful in our own way. But man, I think about just like post-college and that period where you go through, where you're trying to figure things out, mm-hmm. but you think you have everything figured totally. out. You know what I mean? You go through that stage of thinking, I'm supposed to do this, I'm supposed to do that. And I get to, you know, 24, 25, 26, I'm thinking, okay, I was supposed to be married now. I was supposed to do this. I was supposed to do that. And you weren't, you know, I had a job. I was like, you know, you have friends, you're in a, a good city, but what does really all of that get you? And frankly, nothing. And I wasn't really living for anything uh, except what I thought I should be. Right? Yeah. Which was just, I'm supposed to be married. And it's like, well, that doesn't mean anything because once you get married, then what? What does that marriage look like in the first place? What is mm-hmm. what is marriage meant for? Mm-hmm. And I never asked myself those questions, mm-hmm. you know? And I, it's tough to see because I think there's a lot of, we have such a great, vibrant, young uh, adult community in Milwaukee. And there's a lot of people who are so much more mature than I was ever at that age, totally. in the early 20s, which is yeah. such a, a beautiful thing to see and a grace. But I also just want to see those people happy too, because I think a lot of people are asking themselves those questions, but it's like, man, you and I have talked about this, but it's like for some of the, I'll use guys as an example, it's like move into the JP2 house or, yeah. just, like, or just go to seminary. Like I think sometimes we put a little too much weight on the discernment process, not like that it's not important because it is, but thinking that like this is it. And if, if I don't figure it out in this like six month period, it's over. And yes. It's not true. Yeah, because you you watch your life go by. You find yourself a year later with no greater clarity and 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 just sort of a deeper frustration. Yeah, and and I would say you know to quote Father Burns, right? I mean, he preached about this last year. And, you know, it's something that he turns to from time to time again. It's not a big deal. It's just your life. <laughs> yeah, and again, it's I think that line. flows from a space of like, yeah, we're gonna die, and yeah. this is like an, an anointed time by the Lord yeah. that He's given each one of us, right? And sort of like see that invitation. It's like to your point, like, and that's the thing. It's like the pragmatic, just sort of like. You join seminary in the fall, and then like you just turn out after a year. Okay, yeah. yeah. Like if you're 24, what have you lost? Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I said that to a buddy who was kind of talking about kind of vacillating back and forth. I said, honestly, man, like you don't have to give up all of these. I mean, you give up something going into seminary. I'm not knocking that that totally. sacrifice, obviously, but you don't have to give up like the fact that you, obviously you give up your job, but you can still get a job when you come out. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think you have to give up. All your finances? No, no, the no. First year, right? No. So it's it's not like this huge, incredible sacrifice that you can never. Much more difficult from. for a woman to right. enter into religious right. life, yeah, or and, a man to enter into religious formation. Correct. Yeah, and, and so I I look at that and I think, and it's easy for me to say because I'm in my vocation, so it's I'm just saying this as kind of like the I guess crouchy old man. But it's it, at the end of the day, like if you truly trust in what the Lord has planned for you, what are you worried about? 
Like you're worried about giving up these things that are material that don't matter at the end of the day. Like the Lord, like you said, will never be outdone in his generosity. So it's easier said than done. So I'm not trying to no, make it yeah, seem it's as simple as that. We put ourselves as sinners before all of this. Yeah. Um, but I, I think point being is, yeah, if you have that that inclination, it's like, I would, yeah, it would be a great thing to, to see people ask that question and go mm. through that period of discernment for themselves for sure. Yeah. Just to ask yourself, and it's a question that I would ask myself in that semester abroad, like what is separating me from... Not being Peter or Judas, but like one mm-hmm. of the apostles who just wasn't there versus John, who was. Yeah. You know? And it's just like total faith, total trust. Yeah. More often than not, I find myself betraying the Lord or running away in fear. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, that's something, you know, I mentioned the mass card. I have something from John 21 about Peter's sort of forgiveness there, but I include a line from a particular saint that I love, a blessed beatified hmm. who's this cardinal clemens von galen okay he's the lion of munster which is an extraordinary book about this sort of uh ordinary in the di- you know archbishop in the diocese of munster yeah. in germany who sort of ruled during uh the difficult times of the nazi occupation right and um sure he would preach against uh and, and speak against the uh sort of the violence and the uh, sort of totalitarian regime that the nazis sort of maintained and uh, one of the beautiful things is Episcopal motto. That's what I included on my card, which is Nec Laudibus Nec Timore, which is a line from the old prayer of consecration uh, for bishops at their uh, Episcopal ordination, which is what basically the phrase is, may neither the praise nor fear of men guide me, lead me, you know, instruct me. Yeah. And so often we find ourselves like our choices are predicated upon others' praise or fear of what others might think. Yeah, and It's like the Lord alone. That's it. It's like just him. <sighs> yeah, that's a great point, man. We were talking before just about you're always like critical of yourself when you hear yourself recorded on something or whatever yeah, else. Yeah. Like, man, like when when I'm sitting down listening or editing these, I'm always self conscious of that. I'm like, oh, what's somebody gonna think of that? Like, what does somebody think of like the way my voice sounds? Yeah, like, right. There's literally nothing. No, I can we do all to know you that. sound terrible. Yeah, it's, it's okay. It's, it's obnoxious. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> but like, yeah, I, I have that thought, and then I think like, am I doing this? Physically, what we're doing right now, recording this, am I doing this for the Lord or am I doing this for myself? And the answer I know in my heart is is for the Lord, but there's just that weakness in my own self that I look at that and be like, oh, what about this? What about that? It's like, it doesn't sure. matter. It doesn't matter. Like, is this what the Lord wants whoever I, you know, I'm recording with to talk about or for other people to hear? That's all that matters. But I get, dude, I get so lost in that, that human weakness and that mm-hmm. self-consciousness and mm-hmm. that turning in back on myself, thinking of like... Is this okay? Is that enough? Is that enough? Am I enough? And it's like, a, the Lord validates us, and that's like full totally, stop. That's totally. what it is. Yeah, absolutely. So going back to you um, and your, your priestly uh, discernment then, so you, you go through your discernment, um, you jump into seminary then, and then you studied in Rome? Mm-hmm. You studied at the NAC, correct? Yeah. And how was that experience? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 sort of a you know a difficult thing to convey because i think for those who've been blessed to visit rome it's like an extraordinary city the eternal city mm. the center of christendom and so yeah it's, it's you know the path to school every day brings you by the pantheon I mean, and by Santa Maria. Dude, that's like Minerva. that's like the coolest thing i love the pantheon it's super it's yeah, yeah such it's a just cool excellent thing. and yeah. and i think um and you just think of the lives of the saints that have tread the cobblestones of the city and yeah but at the end of the day you're still just having a Frustrating Thursday and it's ninety degrees in 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 August and you know at the site of St Peter's brings you no solace <laughs> yeah, you know you're yeah. just like you're sweaty there's still life you know and yeah. I think it, so it, it was challenging uh, language uh, to study in Italian and 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 to sort of to live in a different culture and to be with classmates that were from all over the country and in yep. the North American College we have Australians and Canadians as well and so you're just like constantly surrounded by other people and not family and not friends that you like deeply know yeah and I think. For me, uh, the big difference that I always say is like, you know, in seminary, when it's break, you can go home. 
like in seminary at the North American College, because you go there all year, no going home at Christmas, no going home at Easter, no going home on breaks. Like when it's break, you're still with other seminarians. Like you can't, you can't, and seminarians are like a particular breed. You can't escape. You just can't escape. And yeah. so it's like, it's great. And it's also just sort of trying. A challenge, and, yeah. Yeah. And so it was really, yeah, it was just like an, an exceptional, exquisite, painful, difficult, beautiful experience in my life that I'm, I'm so grateful for. But I think it, I think it resonates also with anyone's experience of seminaries. Bishop Hang would always say, he's like, if your bag's not packed at least a couple times in seminary, you're not doing seminary, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. if you're not standing there before the crucifix being like, Lord, what the heck? Yeah, this is tough. Like, yeah. I just remember, yeah. like, always lamenting in prayer. I'm like, all Peter had to do is get out of the boat. That's what I always say to myself. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, I just want to follow you. I just want to do this. And you have to remember, like, no, it wasn't just getting out of the boat. It was yeah. following him around for three years. It was doing his work. It was sort of being docile and open to that. So, yeah, it's formation. It is formative. It is good. Uh, specific then. So you're over there, obviously, for the formation, but you get to see a lot of the historical sites as well. So what was maybe one site that you, you're like, yeah, hey, this is overrated, and the one site that was Coliseum, like, this is easy, favorite. overrated. Yeah. Well, here's what I'll say about the Coliseum. It, it is, a, and like, you know, there's probably one guy who's like an engineer, who's like, understands why it's a marvel. Yeah. It is a marvel of architecture and engineering, right? Yeah. So much of it has been pockmarked over the years and taken out. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. I always tell people like, go see the Coliseum, but you don't need to go inside because going I think inside, that's fair. yeah, there's not much. Going to inside, see. you walk around the inner ring. You can't go down into the pit. You can yeah. see some of the like mechanics yeah. and engineering that went into. I mean, they would host naval battles in the Coliseum. Yeah, I mean, they would fill with water. They would have boats. They would have animals. They would have all these sorts of things. Right. You, do, I don't, just don't think you get a very deep appreciation for it. Waiting ninety minutes in line. To just sort of walk around the inside. So that's that's like my little like code. I was like, I don't think you're missing anything. Go see it. Go walk yeah, around it. it. Yeah. But I don't think you need yeah. to go in it. Okay. Um, I was my uh, first sort of apostle in Rome for two years. I was a tour guide at mm. St. Peter's Basilica. Really? So that is a place that I have a deep love and affection yeah. for having, you know, basically, pro tip for anyone going to Rome, right? The North American College offers free English tours. If you go to the Post of Vatican, right? If you go to the Vatican Post Office, they post a sign that says like, free English tours, <laughs> walking tours, right? Um, and I figured we, we would meet at the obelisk or it's like, they walk you in, like into the Vatican. So you don't get, Peter's? you don't get through, you don't get to like cut the line. Sure. But the tour starts while you're in line. Oh, okay. And I cool. give like the history of the city of Rome yeah, and I yeah. talk about, you know, the piazza itself and what Bernini was doing and the obelisk being moved and the facade of the, of the basilica. Sure. And then you move into the space and the, you know, it's a free English tour. And I tell people like, if you get bored, you can walk away. It's like, I don't get paid for this. Like, yeah. And so it was really beautiful, just really be, we could use the church as a teaching tool to invite people into the faith. And I remember giving a tour once and it was, you catch stragglers, right? People yeah. hear English and I'm loud, certainly. And so people <laughs> would, people would kind of like, you know, listen and I yeah. would just always interrupt and be like, you can step Join. in. This is a free yeah. tour. Yeah. I don't care. And a lot of people, English is, English is like the lingua franca now. And so a lot of people would join. I saw that there's these two young women, uh, Chinese women, and they were like listening, and I could see that they could understand. And so I was just like, uh, "Would you like to join?" And it's just a small group that day, and they're like, "Sure." So they're listening, and I'm outside of St. Peter's, and I'm kind of I'm talking about the life of St. Peter. Yeah. And they look at me so quizzically when I was saying things about St. Peter, and I was like, "Do you understand? You know, like, do do you know, are you familiar with the figure of St. Peter?" And they're mm. like, "No, no, no." So I'm I'm sort of like elucidate a little bit about that, and then they kind of look quizzical still when I'm mentioning mentioning things about being a follower of Christ and. I was like, are you familiar with Jesus Christ? And they're like, no, not really. Yeah. So it's like, oh my gosh. Great opportunity. Wow. For like, you. okay, here we yeah, go. Let's yeah. like, here's the charismatic preaching opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just sort of like give them a three hour tour of the Basilica and really give them a three hour intro into what Christianity yeah, is. Yeah, that's awesome. And so, yeah, it was really a great, great opportunity, great sight to see. And I'm amazed, amazed even at Catholics, right? Who go to Rome and they don't go to St. Peter's Basilica. Yeah. Which is just wild to me. 
Yeah, I, when I went, so I've always been Catholic, but um, that was definitely the time for me where it's like, yeah, I'm still going to mass, but maybe kind of like you were in, in high school, where it's just like, yeah, I not go, much of a but I'm not really, relationship. Yeah, I wasn't an active participant, I suppose is what you could say it. So, but there was something deeply moving, I think, in that, and that was actually, I will always say, like the start of my uh, journey back to Catholicism. It took a big, a big wide turn, but it was that summer of 2019, and it's just like going there. There's something just so incredible. I mean, you go into um. Talk to Father Maluka about this. You go into, why can't I think of the chapel's name? Which chapel? Sistine Chapel. Oh, um, the chapel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The chapel. So you go into the Sistine Chapel. is fine. I didn't really think anything of it, to be perfectly honest. The painting's beautiful, but you're, you're smashed in with a yeah. bunch of people. No, people are shouting at you. Right? Yeah, but it is in the Basilica. At least it was for me, because it's it's much more... It was quiet. There were like, I think, masses going on on the side, if sure. I'm not mistaken. Um, and you go down into like the, the crypt, and yeah, it, it's just... it. The architecture is stunning, but also just the experience is, yeah. is something deeply moving. So, yeah, I agreed with you. Yeah, if you, if you can make it there, like, why wouldn't you? One holy Catholic apostolic church, you know, mm. uh, and I think you feel that there, the universality of the faith, the oneness of the faith, the, 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 the sort of sanctity of the faith. I mean, you're, you're sort of like beckoned into the space by the, the beautiful arms of the colonnade of Bernini and the piazza, which are then sort of like crowned with these hundreds of figures of sta- of saints and yeah. you just sort of like feel that sort of invitation in a very deep way of like the smoothness of the cobblestone which has been like sort of like trampled over hundreds of years by like the millions upon millions of pilgrims that have visited the space it's yeah. like that's the beauty there it's like the 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 life the sweat the blood literally you know born out saint john paul ii shot in that piazza yeah. like just all of that is sort of just like yeah, it's just baked into the soil yeah. because that's it i mean it's like that whole space like that's it's it's yuxta obelescum i mean saint peter was crucified as the romans recorded in, mm. inside of the obelisk next yeah. to the obelisk yeah dr patrick russell at sacred heart i don't know if you know him but i went to one of his talks and he does uh, holy land archaeologist oh yeah it's um and so he was talking, and I think this is like kind of BS, but I thought it was a good image. He was talking about how the particulates that Jesus breathed are like still in the air. Yeah. We, you know, we encounter it like, you know, every once every day or something like that. I don't know. I don't know the, you know, heuristics around that or whatever. But Sound, it, it sounds right. It sounds fascinating. And I think the, the really salient point there and the reminder is that Christ walked on this earth, the apostles walked on this earth. Saints walked on this earth, and especially like you said, when you go to Rome, there's that reminder of like really good holy people walked this exact same street or sidewalk or whatever it is that I walked at the same time. Like they were just everyday people in their own way as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're walking here like, what did the Lord call them to do? What is the Lord calling me to do? And I'm walking in the same path. Where will that lead me to? Um, So it's, yeah, it's such a sweet experience going to Rome and realizing like, wow, some of like the absolute greats walk through this space. Yeah, and I I think too, you know, you think of all these saints, especially just in like Rome, but anywhere in the world, I mean, Mm. and they're like, okay, here's their bedroom, here's their whatever. And it's like, even if it's like not even, some of them are like wildly simple. Sure. The poverty of some of these saints, right? Yeah. But just like, it's just a room. Yeah. It's like it this, is, yeah, it's just it's normal. It's just banality of the faith. Yeah. And like the Lord works with like the bland oatmeal of our life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. no sugar, like just no nothing. Milk. It's like that. Yeah. You know, we, we we're always so like you know like we need to configure our life in such a fashion so that it's like interesting enough for the Lord to engage with us. It's like oh, he's wildly in love with you. Like yeah. nothing needs to change. He's ready yeah. for you now. Yeah, exactly. Just tear down the defenses. Yeah, he, he made you in this way in the first place. So when you become a saint and they rope off your room at the JP2 house, what, oh, is, what is it going to be like when people Well, there's going to be a life-size nutcracker inside of it. Is that still in there? 
Well, Leopold's come out. Has he? Out He's of come his, out, out of for hiding. Advent. Yeah. So, just background. So, <laughs> there's one of the secretary at the parish I was at in Fond du Lac, her husband, rest in peace, who passed. He collected life-size, handmade, wood-carved nutcrackers. Okay. Functioning nutcrackers. Yeah. The lever, the whole thing. It actually it cracked horse, the nut well. Horse hair. This thing's taller than you are. Yeah, I've seen it. Right? That's so, Leopold, right? The one that's like... Leopold, yeah. yeah I named he's him. He's a unit. He's taller. You know, he's got horse hair for a beard, <laughs> hand-painted, like gorgeous. Yeah. Anyway, so she's like, I have something for you. Do you will you ever be in Fond du Lac again? I had moved at since to my new assignment. So when I was there, I went, and uh, she's like, I want to give you this. It was my, one, one of my husband's favorites. And it was a beautiful gesture, beautiful gift, but it's like... <laughs> What, what, what am, am I going to do, do with a seven six, foot, with a six and a half foot <laughs> yeah. nutcracker? And so, an advent in the house, he comes out, and other than that, he stays in the corner of my room the does, whole year. Does, he watches me sleep at night. Does, hey, he watches over celibacy you, bonus, baby. Nobody's there. Yeah, nobody, nobody, <laughs> nobody's knows. there. I nobody sleep knows. alone. Do you actually crack nuts with it? I've I've never actually done that. Really, I just want to protect it. How big is the lever on his? It's back? huge. It's pretty big. Wow. You might be strong enough. I'm not sure. Do you think like it could break a hand if you put your hand in there? Like, would he bite you? If you slammed it shut, I it think you could break your fingers. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's like a lever. It's... Well, dude, you hear about that whole thing though, where people say you can bite off somebody's finger. It's like a carrot, but that's not true. Yeah, you can't just bite through somebody's finger like that. I don't Do know. So? Ask ask the North American martyrs that the Iroquois chewed off the fingernails of some of those saints. Yeah, they did some of the Jesuits, yeah. and then those guys were like eager to go back. Yeah, that's amazing. Faith. That's faith. Yeah. Um, okay, so you finish Rome though. You come back. Rome finished me, but yeah, I went <laughs> yeah, home. as it were. Um, okay, so you, you finish that and you come home. You're ordained, obviously. And then your first assignment, you said, was it final? Actually, life? so I was ordained and then I went back to Rome for my first year of priesthood. Oh, I was right. actually sure. in Rome finishing a degree. But then, yeah, so then I go home. I've been a priest for a year and I'm assigned to Holy Family in Fond du Lac. Spent two years there. Now, keep yep. in mind, I, I come in in end of June of 19. Mm. Something happened in March of 2020. I don't know what I it don't was. Recall. Nothing important. So I didn't even get through a whole first year in parish life before the pandemic sort of shuttered things. Okay. Navigated that whole next year, my second year in the parish. Yeah. And in the midst of that, was asked by the archbishop to to sort of transition into these new jobs, right? Vocation director, discernment house director, and, and canon law student. So a lot changed. Yeah. And I really loved parish life, and I hope to get back to it soon. In the bishop's good grace, certainly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll am, put in a good I'm word a humble for you. servant, but yeah. yeah, parish life's really beautiful to be able to invest in people's lives and people that you get to know. It's really nice. Yeah. What does the canon law portion look like, or what is what's the I guess the end? What's the goal, goal for that? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So all things being equal, you could think of it this way: like every person, every juridic person, right? Which is not just like an individual or individuals, an aggregate of them, but also parishes or different institutions. They have different rights and duties and obligations. Mm. Yeah. And there are laws that protect them. There are laws that uphold them. There are laws that compel them. Like uh, society, civilization is law. And uh, we shouldn't push against that. So the basis of canon law is scripture and Roman law, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. mosaic law and Roman law and as the centuries progressed, they began to be collated, but it really wasn't until the 19, 20th century that in 1917 we had this code of canon law. In 1983, it was updated, and just, you know, like a year ago, like a, a whole book, you know, book six, which is on penal law, was updated. So it's like always, always, you know, being updated, being nuanced, being understood in a deeper way, but ultimately, like in, in a diocesan understanding, at least like in the uh, intermediate, like you need judges for sort of ordinary, uh, 
trials, contentious trials. Sure. And think of like marriage nullity cases, right? Sure, sure. That's like most most sort of like familiarly people will be like, okay. That's like what a judge to. on a tribunal in a case for marriage nullity has yeah. to have a JCL, which is a license to canon law. Okay. So like that's what I'll be doing. I don't think it'll be full time. I think like it's your part time gig. It'll be like a day of the week. You go in and you handle some cases. In Milwaukee or the in Milwaukee, Wisconsin? Yeah, in Milwaukee. Okay. In Milwaukee. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Look at you. So you always need to, and a credit to Archbishop, you always need to keep like a cadre of of licensed canon lawyers, yeah. which could be men and women, you know, priests or not, like, um, you know, the license available to anyone. But sort of you need to keep enough licensed uh, canonists in your diocese. Dude, I would love to see you in the courtroom. Would I be able to come to one of the cases or are they closed off no, to the public? Not. You can't come to it. You could record it. It's very intimate and very, it could be deeply painful for people too. I guess it depends on what the topic is. I Often feel like, if it's, it's about their marriage, which has fallen apart. Yeah, but what if it wasn't? What if it was about like a parking ticket? There are other or something. Ca- <laughs> it's not the, parking tickets. The, the Archbishop you took the Archbishop's gave. parking spot. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean there are other. Obviously, there are other cases. I'm, I'm not getting too much into the weeds, but sure, sure. Um, that's like the general thing. There's people yeah, like, what course, will you be course. doing? I'm like, yeah. I think I could see myself in a parish in one day of the week. Two days doing a week, going and doing some cases, right? Yeah, gotcha. But there are a lot of other things. You're involved in the chancery. There's moderator of the curia. There's tribunal work. There's all these different things that yeah, you can do. Sure. Um. So interesting. Yeah. So or they can ask me to never use it. Who knows? Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, was, I mean, I don't know. Always in the back pocket. I did a license of dogma. I've not used that. <laughs> I mean, I use it to yeah, preach yeah, yeah. and live my life. But yeah, I'm not sure. taught with that. Yeah, I gotcha. So in that same sense, though, <clears throat> you said you could get back into parish life, where that would be, you know, something that be you'd be interested. That'd be in. great. How long do they usually keep you? Because obviously, like a lot of the, it seems like pastors or associates are like three year assignment, right? Yeah. So is, is, is it the same thing? Yeah. So it's like director? your first assignment. It's usually three or four years as an associate, and then yeah. just given the priest shortage, you know, back in the day, you wouldn't be made a pastor until you know you're in your forties, maybe. Yeah. And the bank parishes, right? It's like that was like the crowning achievement of your priesthood. You're like, okay, now you're the pastor of this massive parish, big dog, big dog, big 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 man on campus, right? Yeah. And um, no, so now it's like you know you're getting ordained three years in associate, and they're making you a pastor, and so it's just reality. I think of my dad in some ways too. It's like you get ordained at 26, 27, three years in a parish. Okay, you're thirty now. They're gonna make you a pastor. I'm like, oh, it's too soon. I'm like, I don't know. When my dad was thirty. He had a handful of kids. He's working for partner. I mean, it's just like, life's tough for anyone, you know? And yeah, yeah. So let's just throw us into it. And the people of God are so supportive and so patient as we sort of try to figure it out and try to be docile and sort of recognize the Lord's work. Because the parish is not about the priest. Mm. The parish isn't about the building. If I go on vacation, does, like if your priest goes on vacation, does the parish cease to exist? Mm, no. Right? If it burns down, does the parish cease to exist? No. Right. What is the parish? It's a gathering of the people, people of God. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in that regard, it's like you're engaging in that as a shepherd, but shepherd who's like leading the flock. Yeah. Often the flock knows where to feed as well. So it's like, it's a, there's like, um, knowing, like, look at any sheepdog, right? Yeah. Sometimes they lead, sometimes they hang back. So, mm-hmm. You know, it's like having that sort of, uh, humility to yeah, sort of back like, and forth. Yeah. To yeah. let them know when to lead them. And so, yeah, I mean, the way it works in our diocese, my assignment right now is six year term. So this is my, Second full year. Okay, so you'll be six years at least in the vocations. Well, though, who knows? Potentially. I mean, with the Archbishop's term and turning 75, sure, sure. you submit up. his letter of resignation. And if the Holy around. Father accepts that right away, and then he is sort of resigns, then we get a new bishop. A new bishop could come in and be like, you know what, Father John, I want you to go to clown school. Well, which would make sense for you, because I think you're an accomplished one. So. Thank you. Yeah. An accomplished clown. <laughs> Takes one to know one. That would make sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so a couple other questions, then, just in, in regards to the JP2 house, which is the house of discernment. So yeah. how did you, was that a request of the archbishop to take that over as well? 
Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of the, been the work of the vocation office in sure, many ways. Okay. Father Luke Strand, who's now the rector of St. Francis de Sales Seminary, he started that alongside, uh, yeah, the work of a lot of other priests, but he was the one living there and uh, as vocation director ran it. And I lived there its first summer. Mm. Come home from Rome, that house opened. It was mostly, you know, a rectory that hadn't been lived in other yeah. than like one suite in the kitchen that was being used, but it was like a three-story rectory. Dude, it's sick. Like, it's a great place. priests used to live there. Yeah. And, so that first summer, we lived on cots in the living room, nice. the man cave now, right? Nice. And, uh, you know, we spent the summer tearing up carpet, getting glue and nails and staples off of floors, sanding stuff down, building the chapel. Yep. So it's been, it's had an experience. A lot of guys roll through there. I wonder yeah. if we're at over 100 guys yet, but it's going to be close, some guys who yeah. live there. And, um, yeah. How, how would you describe the JP2 house just in like a nutshell? I think it's difficult to interrupt a career. That's like the simplest way. You know, I think it's difficult. Sorry, what? Difficult to interrupt a career, mm. right? What Someone's twenty six, twenty seven. They've been working for a few years. Yeah, there's a lot of like certainty that you feel like you need to cultivate to enter seminary. So you live in the house. You pay very, 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 very cheap rent to yeah. live there, yeah. right? And uh, what what they do pay, I think, just goes towards your just, dinner funds. Just towards the dinner funds, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just towards my clown. Call training, right? Yeah, yeah. On the side. Yeah. So, uh, but the house is pretty simple. It's like holy hour in the morning, morning prayer, mass. Guys go off. If you either have to be in school or have a full time job to live there, and so like guys go, they do their work, they live, and it provides what Rome offered me, which is like consistent prayer and time before the Lord. Some formation as well. Yeah, but the formation is very informal. It's yeah. not a house of formation. Yeah. It's not like some other diocese of like perpetuic houses or other houses gotcha. of formation. This very different thing, and so. I think just to recognize in that way, it's very simple. It's just, it's consistent. It's like, the, the premise is this. You think the Lord's calling you to this, but you're not quite sure. And you're in this career, and you're in this space, and you're not quite sure. Okay, we'll live here. You know, and it's such a negligible fee. You can like keep your apartment or keep your condo, or keep your whatever. Yeah. Live here, have consistent prayer, and just know that like in the span of like from August to May, you make a decision. But you've given the Lord like that effort at least. And that's what the house really exists for. Yeah, you've had a lot of guys go through there. And it seems like, unless it's probably Father Johnny, because he really likes to hold on to him tight, but you can move out quickly, too, if it feels like this is... Yeah. Some guys have been in there, say, six months as an example, and then if it's you know not the right yeah. fit, great, or if it is, then they go to seminary. That's the idea. But, I mean, the hope is that the guy gives it the full year. That's yeah. the idea. It's like sure. You move in in August, and you leave in whatever. Yeah. But we've had guys move in the middle of the year. We'll have a guy join in January, another guy maybe join right after them. that, and... And you sort of work with that. We had a guy join in March, and then in like August, he moved out. He stayed there through the summer, and yeah. it's like, okay. So, I mean, you never know. I mean, sometimes guys need a full year. Got the idea is the house is about a, about a year, but yeah. it could be more. It could be less. Love it. All right, so I found a question then. Mm. What's been the hardest part of being a priest so far? You're, how, how many years are you in now? Five? Four? Uh, it'll be five this May. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a day in May 19th of 2018. Okay. Um. Something that my rector in Rome would always say, like an unfair reality of life, like perception is reality, right? So I think that's a difficult thing to be perceived in so many ways. I remember being kind of bothered by like an email somebody sent frustrated with something I preached in a homily. Sure, sure. And I think I was particularly bothered because to me it seemed like it was not like a contentious theme. Minutia. Yeah, it was yeah. like something, but they were just yeah. like very upset. Yeah. I remember... My pastor in Fond du Lac, who I have a great love for, he was like, Johnny, like the parish is 5,000 families. It's yeah. a huge parish. Yeah. He goes, John, it's 5,000 families. You think they all like you? Yeah. <laughs> and I just remember being like, yeah, like yeah. in your humanity, you're like, I'm trying to love people. I'm trying to serve them. I, I understand not being everyone's cup of tea, but like, you know, I, and I mean this honestly, like, but like, what's not to like? You know, like, yeah. I'm, in, I'm, in charity towards in one charity another. In charity towards yeah. one another. What's yeah. And he's just like, 
some people just kind of perceive you as someone they don't care for. They yeah. won't like, they yeah. won't trust, they won't. And I think that's the hardest thing in priesthood because it's like, I'm, we're trying, I'm trying. You yeah. know, it's like, and, and that's can, that can be hard. And so to think of it in a marriage, right? It's like the husband who comes home, he's worked all day. He comes home and he mows the lawn. Mm-hmm. He takes out the garbage. He fixes the disposal. He takes stuff down from the attic. He cleans the gutters. He comes in, he strips off his clothes. He takes the shower, quickly comes down, helps. You know, it's like, and and his wife's like, he doesn't love me. Mm. You know, because he didn't come home and he didn't kiss her. Yeah. And he didn't talk to her and yeah. he didn't sit with her. Because that's the way that she feels love. That's the way she receives love. Yeah. And that's just one example. It can, it can take any form, right? Yeah. She has perceived an absence. Mm-hmm. He has perceived a presence. And so, like, that's hard. It's Now, here's what's hard. His love, loving is not loving the way we want to love. It's loving the way that others sort of want to receive that love. Now, yeah. there's a reciprocity. We sure. have to be fair. Sure. We can't be unreasonable. Right, where you come home and you're like, the way that I feel loved is if my wife brings me a beer. You know, it's like, that's not how it works, right? <laughs> yeah. But to just say it's like true love and sacrifice is like being willing to sort of cooperate with the perception others have. Like, you know, if I come home and I don't say hello to my wife and share my date, even just for a moment, that's not going to, that doesn't resonate with her, right? Mm-hmm. Even though I'm trying to love her by doing all of these things. Yeah. And I think as a priest too, it's like learning to love the people in the way that they can receive that love, right? So do you subscribe then to the, I think it's like the five love languages? You know, I, with all of those things, I I, I give it. I like think a, gr- the, a grain of truth. Yeah, that's about totally. It, yeah. I yeah. think totally. Like there are some people who like words of affirmation are huge, yeah. or acts of service are huge, or quality time is huge, right? So, sure. I think in the same way, it's like you know what you're trying. You like you're you're out there. You're trying to love the parish to run these events and to do these things, but you didn't go to the high school basketball game on Friday. Yeah, you must hate them, right? And you're like killing yourself in other ways. And so it's just realizing you like you know what for whatever reason if I don't go to that game they're going to see it as like an absent father. You know and so it's just like now for me that wasn't a problem. I loved going to the basketball games. Yeah, yeah. But just to give you an example Sometimes you it's go like, out there and play. It's like yeah. It's like <laughs> learning learning to learning to sort of like deal with the frustration of like per- perception is reality. Yeah. Yeah, and not every feeling that that person has is is valid. I and, like I have that as either as a husband, man, where you're just yeah. like, I'm annoyed by this or annoyed by that. And that, I'm sometimes with Annie, sometimes not with Annie, but it's like, is that justified? Maybe sometimes, but is it always? Definitely not. Yeah, definitely. And just because you have a feeling doesn't mean that it's a valid one, you know? Totally, right? And so it's like learning to nuance those things, be like, this is an unfair reaction and sort of like to draw their perception perhaps into a place of, of, of truth. Yeah. But other times it's just sort of like, I just, like I'm being perceived in a certain way. And often it's perceived in a certain way. And often it's like a, a quick fix, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's like a quick... I had a priest friend who's like, I'm not much of a morning person, but I just like... So if I come into the office and I don't talk to anyone, it's not like I'm ignoring them. It's just like I don't even think about having a conversation with them. Yeah. But they perceive that as I'm mad at them. Upset, grumpy, So I make a point of like preparing for say hello and right, say, yeah. you know, it's like he doesn't want to do it, but that's that's love. That's care. That's attention. So yeah. I think I think... You know, I could give you a lot of different reasons, a lot of different things. And I think for for couples and marriages too, it's like hard in a lot of different ways, but it's just sort of, I think that sort of just, because I think most people are trying to be genuine, trying to live the vocation. If they're trying to live their faith, it's like you're trying to seek the the virtues and to live the virtuous being. And so. Yeah. I mean, the greatest good is obviously to will that person towards heaven at the end of the day. Yeah, and I'm right. sure there's plenty of things when you're up there at the pulpit trying to, to preach that people don't agree with. I mean, there's so much in our society that so many people wouldn't agree with, but oh, totally. that you still have to uh, speak preach, truth. 
Yeah, speak power to truth or truth to power, whatever it is that people say these days. I don't know. What they I, say. I don't know, man. Whatever the Twitterverse. Uh, Something in the Twitterverse, yeah. As it were. Um, cool. Okay, so guys that are interested in discernment or maybe the JP2 house, how do they get in touch? Well, the main thing up? is like, yeah, come to Coriezu. So Wednesday nights, every Wednesday, unless Christmas falls on Wednesday, mm-hmm. right? Easter's always going to be a Sunday, so just Christmas. <laughs> Other than that, so I think only like once or twice in 11 years it's been canceled. St. Robert and Shorewood. St. Robert and Shorewood. Yep. Six o'clock, there's a men's dinner. If you don't RSVP, don't register, just show up. Six o'clock dinner. There's a seven o'clock adoration and holy hour, or uh, holy hour and confession, and then eight o'clock mass, and then there's some social time after. Come to that. Send an email to the vocation office, thinkpriest.org. Mm-hmm. Thinkpriest.org. Call the seminary, schedule a meeting, have the cup of coffee. You're never going to regret that. Just sort of like giving the Lord a little bit of a yes to sort of asking the question. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cool. Thanks for joining, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. God bless you.